Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 174. I'm Stephanie Olson. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to develop real resilience is key. And one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Mader. So that's got to be the bottom line, because when I recognize that I have value, I really do treat myself differently. I expect different things. But when I understand that this person next to me has value, I can't buy them, I can't sell them, can't even bully them. And so that is the foundation of everything we teach. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Stephanie Olson. I asked Stephanie about her focus on preventing human trafficking and building resilience. I also asked Stephanie about how her faith intersected with her journey and led her to doing this work. And Stephanie also shares with a little information about trauma and resilience and how this can affect all of us. One area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to hold you accountable and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in productivity for your passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. Stephanie Olson is a speaker, an author, and the Chief Executive Officer of the Set Me Free Project, a prevention education organization on human trafficking, social media safety, and healthy relationships. Stephanie has a mission to share that each person has an intrinsic value that cannot be changed. Her work on teaching resilience in life and leadership has inspired people across the United States. In her conversational and humorous style, Stephanie will inspire and empower Living with years of parental abandonment, eating disorders, alcoholism, and domestic and sexual violence, she overcame through determination, faith, and resilience. 
Now a sought-after speaker, Stephanie runs a successful nonprofit organization and loves to speak to audiences of all kinds, faith-based and non, inspiring, encouraging, and bringing hope everywhere she speaks. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about it in the intro with some of the things you do with the Set Me Free Project and other things, but kind of let's back up a step. Would you share some of your journey and your past, your history, and what brought you to this point where this is what you want to focus on is around the ideas of human trafficking, resilience, and trauma and these sorts of topics? Yeah, you bet. I was born. <laughs> I always start there. It sounds like a long conversation. Well, that is the beginning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to a very amazing woman, but definitely young and insecure and a very abusive biological father. And so that right there, that trauma that I experienced with the abuse of my mom, just for the first year of my life, you think, gosh, you're a kid, you don't remember it. But it's amazing how that implants Mm -hmm. um, what is going on or what is supposed to be your normal going forward. And my mom escaped from that relationship when I was only a year old, Mm -hmm. moved in with my grandparents. But my biological father did nothing to try and reach out to me to find me no no Christmas cards, no birthday cards or anything like that. And so as a, a young girl, that is a great thing that your mom is that brave and courageous. However, as a little girl, you want to be daddy's little girl. And that is definitely something that I thought, gosh, if my own biological father doesn't think I'm worth anything, I must not be. And Mm. if my own father doesn't love me, I must not be very lovable. And that really affected the trajectory of my life. And going forward, I had a lot of developed eating disorders. I, I really became that old cliche looking for love in all the wrong places and spent a lot of time in just really bad situations. I became an alcoholic. There was drug abuse and had a series of sexual violence in my life and dating violence. And then I got married at a very young age to my first husband, which also became an abusive relationship. And so just this cycle of abuse, this cycle of violence in my life. And Fast forward, by the grace of God, I met and married an incredible man who is now my husband and amazing, but still continued to drink. And I was by this point drinking daily. And really, it was not until we had been married a couple of years and I had a kiddo who was about 18 months, I guess we'd been married three years, that I finally found sobriety. And through all that, I really wanted to give back and started to do that eventually through women's ministry, did a lot of work with women on living a victorious life, women who had been in domestic and sexual violence situations, addictions, homelessness, and was really happy doing that. (laughs) And then one day, one of the women that I worked with said, hey, let's help 
sex trafficked victims, having no idea what that meant. And when I really researched it and looked into it, I realized, gosh, this is not what we think trafficking looks like. And kids at the time, I still have kids, but some are a little older, a little more adult, but kids right in the midst of that. And I thought, okay, they are the targets and no one's telling them that. No one's telling me as a mom that. And that's really how we began. A couple of questions to follow up on that. First first off, congratulations for finding sobriety. So how how long have you been clean and sober? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. I had an alcoholic father and had started down the road of alcoholism and actually quit. Uh, So I, I understand that. Yeah. That challenge. But as well, you you mentioned finding love in all the wrong places <laughs> and, and repeating some of these same patterns, and then obviously now is a different different place for you. Yeah. Between all of that, what do you think it is that allowed you or woke you up? What was it that made you realize, hey, I'm repeating the behaviors that were imprinted on me yeah. at a very young age. I'm not doing what I need to do. I'm not sure if I realized that (laughs) necessarily. I think that years later, I looked back on that and said, okay, that's what was going on. But it was really, I can only attribute it to God, faith-filled person. And I believe that it was something that God knocking on the door saying, hey, I need you to, I became Christian at a very young age and really just turned my back on him during that time. And so when I really started listening again and paying attention, I think that's when it was, okay, we need to move into a different direction. And now I want to use you in a very different way. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your faith journey and how that intersected with your journey. You just mentioned Christian at a young age, uh, but how did that play out? So when my grandparents who raised me until I was six were my dad, my grandpa was Jewish. My grandma was Episcopalian. And so all I knew about religion was that at Hanukkah, I got eight presents every day. And then at Christmas, I got loaded with presents. So religion was great for me. But it wasn't until my mom met my dad, and this is a man who adopted me when I was six years old. And I always make the distinction between my biological father and my dad, because Mm -hmm. just so important to me. But my dad adopted me when I was six. He didn't really have much in the way of, of religion. And my mom met Christ when I was six years old. And so her and I started going to church and I loved it. And I really loved the Lord, but I don't think I really understood how much he loved me. And that was the key piece that I was missing. And I I really believe my dad who is a who was a wonderful human being just didn't have the ability to heal the emotional trauma that only God could heal. And so I know that was a lot of the issues. And so when I started to get into some of the 
the eating disorders and the alcoholism, I, 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 God was always there. He was always present, but I think there was so much sin in my life at that point. And I was so angry that I just could not see him. And so I literally turned my back on him. And I can look back today and say, wow, he was present there. He was present there always. So he never walked away from me. I completely walked away from him. But it was much later what in my right before we got married, my husband, my now husband and I both recommitted our lives back to Christ. And it was quite a journey getting to a place of total intimacy with him because that took stopping the drinking and all of that stuff. But yeah, God is so faithful. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. Sometimes I've described to people before that we leave God. That doesn't mean God left us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And it's so fascinating looking back. Now, at this time, it's important to know that my mom, my dad did finally become a believer and she drug him along to church too. And it instead of just religion, it became a relationship for him. And my mom was on her knees this entire time praying mm-hmm. for me. And she has journals upon journals full of promises the Lord made her on my behalf. And it's amazing looking back at those, you can really see the promises being fulfilled. So yeah, it's incredible <laughs> to see that. Yeah, so it, so there were others even lifting you up yeah. in that relationship, even when you weren't. Absolutely. I used to tell my mom, hey, mom, I'm just building my testimony. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> your mess is your message, right? So, <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that doesn't necessarily mean go out and screw up a lot. Yeah, it's not a good <laughs> you know, thing. But... Not necessarily a good thing, right. <laughs> yeah, you, there's two ways to learn from mistakes. Learn from your yes. own or learn from someone else's. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's we seem to learn from our own. Would would it be better to learn from somebody exactly, else? Exactly. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about some of the topics that that we've touched on throughout yeah. this. What, what? Let's define our terms a little bit. Yeah. You. What is trauma actually to you? What? How would you define it? Yeah. If you were explaining that to someone. We all have some sort of trauma. And that's what I would say. Trauma is trauma is trauma. It's a significant um, incident, whether it's a one-time incident or whether it's an ongoing situation that affects us emotionally and physiologically and psychologically sometimes. And so everybody responds differently to traumatic incidents. So there could be an incident that I deem as traumatic, Mm -hmm. same exact incident for you, you might not see that as a traumatic incident, but that is definitely how I view it. Now, there are, I would say, the big T's and the little T's. And so when you're talking about something like um, physical or sexual abuse, physical or sexual violence, and some of those things, those are some of big T's that really start to affect the ways that can affect us and affect our life. Yeah. We work a lot with youth and it's really interesting with youth because trauma, 
manifests a little bit differently with depending on the ages that you are in. And with youth in the classroom, they're usually the kiddos who are either completely silent, they're not responding, or, and often most likely, they're the ones who are causing trouble and wreaking havoc. And so we... I've also, Whether, seen the, I've also seen him turn into the class clown because it's yes, a defense mechanism. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there's so many different ways. And what we have to learn to do is look at each individual through a trauma-informed lens and recognize, okay, so this may be very annoying in this person, but what's going on here? And that's some of the ways. But I've also seen depending on, for example, somebody who has completely lacked control in their childhood and never had a voice, all of a sudden needs to take control as an adult in every area of their life, whether whether positive or negative, and that can really wreak havoc in relationships. And so there's a lot of relational things that sometimes I don't even think we realize this behavior is due to the trauma in my life. And how do I address that? How do I deal with that? And I think a very common saying among um, people today, especially some in the younger generation is, you triggered me, don't trigger Mm me. And the reality is that when we are triggered by our trauma, that's not a bad thing. Because it makes us, it forces us to take a look at that trauma, work through it. And that's where the healing comes from. So when you think about the healing and the recovery and getting better, what, and I know it's not a one size fits all journey, but what is that process of going from survivor uh, Mm -hmm. to thriver or having resilience, having that ability to recover from trauma? I think it's a long process and I think it's a lifetime process. Don't know how people do it without Jesus. I think that is such an important part of that. And that is truly what brought me to a place of healing. And even today, because there are times when all of a sudden something will come up out of the blue. And I think, whoa, where, where did that come from? That did not feel good. I don't know what that was. I thought I was beyond this and boom, it's hitting you again. But it's during those times that you can really, um, you know, really, the Bible says God goes before you in everything that you do. And if you can really allow him to take those on for you, that is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I'll never, I think therapy is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. I will never knock therapy. And so I do think that just being very honest, being open. And I think too, that it takes some real self introspection and humility Mm. because which was nothing I was really good at. But I think that you've got to be able to say, gosh, yeah, I did not do that really well. And maybe this is why, and this is how I'm going to choose to do better next time or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, I think a lot of times out of trauma 
comes a need for control. Yes. And out of a need for control could come, how shall we put this? Bad behavior. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't going to use the word bad, but you okay, know, yeah, controlling behavior and unfortunate and, yeah. behavior. Yeah, yeah. no, and, exactly. And, and controlling behavior can come across as lack of a lack of humility, a lack of self introspection, a lack of caring about others, a lack of all of these sorts of negative traits that we would see. What's the I guess, what's the difference between, uh, it's, I, I guess it's always coming out of someone's trauma. I'm struggling with yeah. how to phrase the question. And yet there are sometimes you have to protect yourself from people around Absolutely. you that are behaving in those ways. What's that yeah. balancing act between helping others heal and right. recover and also taking care of what we need to protect ourselves as That's well? A great question, because there really is a thing called secondary trauma. And secondary trauma is when we start to really experience the trauma that somebody else is experiencing. Now, a lot of times when people are working in that type of field, whether it is I'm serving in this area, I'm helping in this area, it's because of past trauma that we want to do that. And so when we are working with people with their trauma, that don't that can only sometimes increase. And so self-care is really necessary and boundaries are extremely important. I think that when we are dealing with somebody who is dealing with trauma, sometimes those people can literally suck us dry because they need so much. And and that is um, that is very typical, but it is okay as people who are working in that area and trying to help people with trauma to say, can't help you right now. And so maybe I can refer you here, or this is my limit. No, you can't come to my house and stay for five hours or whatever the case may be. And really setting those boundaries in place so that we can, we can have time to heal and regroup and, you know, take it back to the Lord. But I do think it's also important to recognize that there are people in our lives that we might not even be trying to help. But if the trauma comes from family members, it might be a situation where we have to put some real strong walls and boundaries in those relationships. Now, Forgiveness is really important, but that doesn't mean we need to be spending all of our moments with people who have traumatized us. And so mm-hmm. all of those things, I think, are really important to recognize. Yeah. It, it, it's okay to love other people, and sometimes that's at a distance. Absolutely. The, the other <laughs> yeah. thing I would say to that is we're not all... There's this mindset, I think, sometimes that... I was in a domestic violence relationship, so I should build a shelter. Or I was in a domestic violence relationship, so now I need to go talk to every single person and help them. Those are not necessarily things we we don't have to label ourselves as such and then move out of that label. It is okay to be a sexual violence survivor and be an accountant. 
those are good things. And so I think sometimes what I see in this industry is almost a requirement that because you experienced this, now you have to help people in this. And I think those are boundaries sometimes that we have to put into place and say, no, this is not my calling. Um, I am a survivor of this and I'm so happy, but this is where God has me. And I've also seen the opposite where somebody that wants to work in the field, but doesn't have that identity themselves, didn't go through it themselves. And then you got the whole Am I worthy of helping others who have been through this? Oh my because, goodness. You know, yes. So yeah. true. And I am not a survivor of human trafficking. Right. And there are people who would tell me that I don't have the experience, even though I have the knowledge and I mm-hmm. have the lived experience from working with individuals through that. Yes, I would agree with you 110%. Yeah. And again, that that doesn't mean that's true, but right. I've heard people have that. If you yes. haven't walked in their shoes, you can't help them. Yeah. And it's like, well, not necessarily. Not really. Yeah. Well, but I get it. I understand yeah. why you would say that too. Yeah. But it's if you were a financial advisor, you don't necessarily have to go bankrupt in order to tell somebody let me help you out of bankruptcy. Sure. And so I think that's how we need to look at some of those things. So I actually work because I, I'm a coach in one area, coaching right. finances, and I actually train other people how to be financial coaches. So I've mentored literally hundreds of other people. And one of the exercises we have them do is write their own financial story and kind of their own yeah. message. And it's funny because the people with a really bad story will always tell you, I don't feel qualified to be a coach because mm. I've made all these mistakes. Yes. And the people with a really good story that doesn't have any of those mistakes will say, I don't feel qualified to be a financial coach because I haven't gone through any of these bad right. things. And it's like, so who is qualified? Yeah, okay, so no one can coach. <laughs> no one can help other people. Then. That's right. Wow, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's the same in a lot of, with right. trauma or violence or any of right. those. You know, I would imagine things. counselors and all of those you yep. know, go through a similar kind of, I can't, I can't, no yeah. matter what your story is, imposter syndrome is still going to show. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. You talked a little bit about self-care. What are some of the things that you think are important for folks to do to have that self-care? And again, maybe they're not professionally helping someone with trauma, but we all have those people in our lives. Yeah. What are some of the things you think folks need to focus? I think that it's really important. And again, I'm just going to go back to that relationship with God for people who have a relationship with God, spending that quality time with him. That's the first thing I do just because it's quiet in my house early in the morning. Nobody else is awake. And that's my time with the Lord. And Boy, when I don't have that, I really notice it. Um, But the other thing that's really important to me that I do often, almost every day, is exercise. That is just something, again, when I don't do it, those endorphins that that are created, just the way that it makes you feel, I think, is so critical. And those are just two things that can really just affect how you feel about yourself and going forward in the day. Um, But I also think it's really important to 
really take time and we spend so much time on this and sometimes we spend time on social media and we're looking and we're comparing ourselves and comparing ourselves and i think that really stepping away from social media stepping away from technology and i'm not great at that but that is a really piece of self-care that i think is extremely important and then i think like even things like nutrition i am not crazy nutrition person but i i do notice that when i eat things that are better for me i actually feel better just i feel better and so recognizing what things make you feel good and what things don't are just really important being very self-aware of what helps you and what hurts you paying attention to your own energy yeah 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 which i think we're all really bad at usually <laughs> I do too. yeah <laughs> unless I do we too. make a deliberate effort to do it i don't think right. we're naturally good at it no i don't and taking naps is a good thing sitting down and reading a book letting the laundry go or letting the work go or whatever it is i think sometimes we're so hard on ourselves if we don't grind and the reality the is hustle culture yeah we were not meant to do that and so taking some time and just taking care of yourself yeah. is really important yeah, it, if you're honest and, and again we're both people of faith and many of the listeners are one of the things that is in the the good book is taking a sabbath whether you're christian whether you're jewish whether you're muslim right. it's in all of them <laughs> and yet how many of us have really taken a true sabbath oh yeah yeah in terms of a real day where you actually took it all the way off and did no work. Yeah. I know one person who has done that and it's pretty cool, but I can honestly say I have, I'm very bad at it. <laughs> I, I'm not good at that. I am not good at that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and yet I know I need that. And yet mm -hmm. I freely admit I'm bad at it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm not good at doing that. It right. always feels bad. So let's switch gears a little bit. I know the area that you work on a lot now is around this area of human trafficking, mm -hmm. and especially in the youth. And I think that's an area that everyone has a picture of what it is, but yeah. not necessarily the real picture. Yeah, <laughs> talk a little taken. bit about. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we all have the movie. It's kind of like the CSI effect. We all know. You know oh, your right. DNA test comes back in fifteen minutes. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah, that's how it works, right? Um, that's not really the real reality. No. Talk a little bit about what human trafficking really is. Yeah. So, yeah. So human trafficking is the buying and selling of a human being for the personal profit or gain of another through force, fraud, or coercion. Now, what we think about is that force piece. So we think of kidnapping. We worry about the white van driving by our house and snatching our kids. And that's what we hear about. It's sensational. It makes for good TV or good movies. But the reality is that rarely happens with human trafficking. It can, but it doesn't often because what is more effective for traffickers is that fraud and coercion piece. So fraud might look like, I love you. You're my everything. And it's this false relationship that is not true. And coercion could be more fear-based manipulation that's mental. But what traffickers do 
as they build relationships, often now using social media. And so if I can build a relationship with you, and that could take a year, that could take longer. If I build a relationship with you and then in, I always say this, so if I could kidnap somebody, I could throw them in my white van, which is really a black Honda. I could drug them and sell them. And would they be a good product for me? Because that's Mm. what they are. Probably not because they're scared. They're drugged. They're not going to exactly be loyal. But let's say I become the mom they've never had. And I fill their needs physically. I give them a place to stay. I give them clothes. I give them food to eat. I fill their needs emotionally. I give them love and talk to them, make them feel special. And then one day after a year or so, I say, we are really struggling as a family and we need to pay the rent. And so I need you to do this one thing, maybe once, twice, four times max. Now, you are going to be a good product for me because not only do you want to help the family, but you think you've chosen that. And so the majority of trafficked individuals do not even self-identify as being trafficked Mm -hmm. because this is someone I love. This is someone I trust. And so that is how traffickers doing it are doing it. Our youth are on social media all of the time. And really not always understanding that, hey, that is not the best place to meet somebody. And now we've got people who are saying, oh my gosh, you look amazing, or I would like to be your friend. And our kids are, they're not posting pictures of their chimichanga like I am. They are telling their deepest, darkest. They are, they are talking about things that we might never even think to talk about to an individual that they have suicidal thoughts online. They have. Sure. And so a trafficker can come in and say, gosh, these are your vulnerabilities. I'm going to play to your vulnerabilities. Hey, you're amazing. I want to be your friend. I love you. You're gorgeous, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And then boom, I ask you to do something you would never do. And I can maintain control. It's both girls and boys who are vulnerable to this, sometimes depending on the community, almost half. So it's this myth that it's only girls, that only guys are traffickers, and that it's kidnapping. And those things are just not reality. Yeah, I think a lot of the, a woman would never do that kind of mentality, which opens up a dangerous precedence because 42% of trafficking recruiters are women. Right. Yeah. And in part it's because it's quote easier air quotes around that. Okay. Like you said, they are a good product. Right. Yeah. It's a a lower, they're less threatening (laughs) to to most. Yeah. If I come to you as opposed to a guy, it's going to be, or, a young kid or what it's going to be a very different experience than if yeah so it's we kind of put out to kids watch out for stranger danger watch out for the white van watch out for the big guy with the that looks like a monster that looks like a predator that looks like an evil dr jekyll mr hyde got yeah and that's not the predator (laughs) that is (laughs) not that 
they're charming. They're engaging. They're all genders. They're it's a man, a woman, a couple. They are you and me. And I think that is, that is the scary thing. I asked an eighth grader, I always ask eighth graders, but I, what does a predator look like? And we actually talk about, we don't talk predator sure. language because this is usually a boyfriend. I'm not going to call my boyfriend predator right. or familial trafficking, huge increase. So if that's mom, I'm not going to call my mom a predator. So I asked this. You try not what, to use predator, monster, any yeah, of those, because exactly. it gives a label in their head. It that does. Is a, right. It does. So I asked, what does a predator look like? And we're like, oh my gosh, this old, super creepy guy, like 30, super old in a trench coat. <laughs> this is what they think, the super old 30 year old. But yeah, it's, that's not what it is. Well, but, but yeah, when you're an eighth grader, 30 is super 30 old. 30 is old. Um, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very I, I taught middle school for 11 years and I taught high <laughs> yeah. school for, for six. So I'm very aware of how old 30 year old. Very old, sad. Yeah, the middle schools. <laughs> and I've seen that. I've had taught in a, a very low socioeconomic area yeah. of town. And, and I've had kids that were trafficked, had students that I've reported to CPS and others that yeah. this is what's going on. It's reality. Doesn't always help. But um, <laughs> back in the day, I've had that happen. Well, so. and that's back in the day, maybe even. I remember a time before social media, so mm -hmm. traffickers definitely had yeah, to that was actually leg. pre social yeah. media being big at least yeah. so more leg work that they had to do, but one of the top so one of number one lures um, locations is social media. one of the top fives is school sure. and so I think that's something that so many people just don't even think of. It's the scary places in the parks or don't go to the malls alone. It's happening right in our own backyard. So what are the, some of the things that people need to be aware of to either prevent or avoid real what trafficking really is as opposed to right. the myths of it? The number one thing that we teach all of our kiddos and any adults is that it really is about understanding that you have an intrinsic value that nobody can change. When our kids recognize that, and I will tell you, so many kids don't, sure. don't understand that they have value. They're not told that they have worth or human dignity. So that's got to be the bottom line, because when I recognize that I have value, I really do treat myself differently. I expect different things. But when I understand that this person next to me has value, I can't buy them, I can't sell them, can't even bully them. And so that is the foundation of everything we teach. But then really deciphering between the myths and the facts of what human trafficking is, how human traffickers actually go about it. And so what do you look for as a kid? And what do you look for as a parent? And Really, a lot of it, again, comes back to, it can't be about stranger danger, but really, what is a trustworthy person? And we always say a trustworthy person will never ask you to do something illegal, will never ask you to go against your moral compass, will never ask you to keep a secret from parents or guardians, and will always want the best for you. And that is something that we can really take to the bank as kids, as parents, but then how do we help our kids safely navigate social media? Because that's not going away. 
So we need to learn how to safely navigate it and teach our kiddos how to do that as well. And then really teach again, how do we connect as human beings outside of social media? And what does that look like to have a real relationship and a healthy Mm -hmm. relationship? So those are all the things that we really talk about. My brand is Inspired Stewardship, and I kind of run things through that lens of stewardship. Yeah. And yet... I've also discovered over the years, that's one of those words that means different things to different people. And so let me ask you, for you, what does the word stewardship mean? And what is the understanding of that had as an impact on you? Yeah, that's a great question. When I think of stewardship, the first thing I think of is financial stewardship and how we, and especially as a, a nonprofit, that's something that's very important to me and that what we are doing with our money is honoring that we're spending it wisely. We're spending it honoring our donors or honoring those types of things. But also I think our time and what we put our energy towards, I think we have to be good stewards of all of the things that we have been given including our family. I think we can be great stewards in our work world and then horrible stewards in our family. And so I think all of that, it's a balance, but in order to be a good steward and have strong stewardship, I think we really need to effectively balance everything that we've been given and really take care of those. So this is my favorite question, though I've been told by some guests it's their least favorite. So we'll see how we'll see how you feel about it. Okay. If I invented this magic machine and I could pluck you from the chair where you sit today and transport you into the future 150, Ooh. 200 years, and through the power of this machine, you were able to look back on your whole life and see all of the impacts, all of the ripples, all of the relationships that you've left behind, what impact do you hope you've left on the world? Ooh, that's good. I think the biggest impact that I want to leave is, I'm going to say it in kind of layers. Top layer would be that I served God well. That would be the biggest impact. That I brought people into the kingdom of God with me. And that I built a legacy within my family and and their their ability to do those things as well and built a legacy in um, just the people that I was able to touch in, in my time here on earth. And I would be doing that in heaven because I don't want to be alive 150 years from now. That's one of the reasons I deliberately picked 200 yeah. years. Is cause it's, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping I've yet to run into somebody who's actually, I'll be kicking around just fine. But yeah. <laughs> So what's coming next for you? What's on the roadmap as we move out of 2022 and into 2023? There's some really exciting things, and I don't know what they are, but God does. He's got, I love it when I came out of a huge storm in some areas in my life, and I can see God in every piece of it. And it's through something that he is trying to do, or not trying to do, I'm trying to 
discerned what he's doing, but there is a pivot coming that has really gotten me excited. Some people not so excited. And so really think that we are on the verge as an organization, but also just what he's doing in my life where he's going to be doing some really big things. And I'm just along for the ride. I cannot wait to see what he does. But here's what I will say. I have always allowed the Holy Spirit to run this organization until I didn't. And I turned it over to some people, not even meaning to, but really turning over some of that control and not allowing the Lord to speak through it. And I am redoing that. And so this is all back to God and what he's going to do. So I'm excited to see what he does. I don't know. I'm just long for the You can follow Stephanie on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the Set Me Free Project. She also has a website for this nonprofit over at setmefreeproject.net. You can also find out more about her books and have her as a speaker at one of your events. Go over to her website at stephanieolson.com. Of course, I'll have links to all of that over in the show notes as well. Stephanie, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? I think I would just share, gosh, if you're going through it, because we all have, be encouraged because there is, there's always going to be these peaks and valleys in our lives, but God's got you. And so that's what I would say. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact the world.